asked, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier days I wouldn't want it any other way It's time to name the neglect from typical food advice. Welcome to the Find Your Food Voice podcast, hosted by me, Julie Duffy Dillon. I'm a registered dietitian with 20 years of experience partnering with folks just like you on their food peace journey. What have we learned? Well, cookie cutter approaches exclude too many people and you don't need to be fixed. It's not you. It's not me. It's all of us. Only together, we can start a movement and fix diet culture. And we will. Let's begin with now. I wanna see how the world turns round. Let's go adventure in the deep blue sea. Home is with you wherever that may be. Home is with you wherever that may be. Hi and Welcome to episode 286 of the Find Your Food Voice podcast. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, registered dietitian and partner on your food peace journey. I'm so glad you're here. I know for many of you, you have been dieting for as long as you can remember, probably as a child, when you were told that there was something wrong with your body or you needed to be careful with how you're eating in order to prevent yourself from just going out of control with food and your body. As you are really uncovering all of the lies that you were told about how to relate to food and how to relate to your body, it may be really cool to see how you're healing and to notice that like, oh my gosh, I can actually not diet. I pause there because it may be really hard to see this outside of yourself. What I'm referencing is we live in a world, like I always say, that has not recovered from its own eating disorder. It hasn't even acknowledged it has one. So what do you do when you're living in a household with other people who are knee deep in diet culture or actively in an eating disorder and just aren't aware of how much harm that is bringing to themselves, let alone you. Well, I have a letter from someone who has been dieting since they were around eight and now in their mid-20s is really like starting to do some recovery work, but yet living in a household with their partner and this household includes people who are actively dieting, talking about bodies in a negative way. And this is a really big struggle. I'm excited to um, share this letter with you because I have a feeling you can relate to, if not all of it, at least most of it. And I asked my friend and colleague, Kimmy Singh, to join us. Kimmy is someone who I recorded the PCOS and Food Peace podcast with a number of years ago, and she's been on the podcast before, but I asked her to help me with this letter. So I'm excited for you to meet Kimmy if you haven't met her yet. But before we get to the discussion with Kimmy and this episode's letter, a quick word from our sponsor. 
If you are living with polycystic ovary syndrome, you probably have been dieting for as long as you can remember. I know for many of you with PCOS, you dieted even before you had the diagnosis because you were told your body was wrong or you were told that everyone in your family has to worry about food and weight and exercise. And so that's just how you were raised. You may find listening to this letter that you can relate to a lot of it because recovering from diet culture while living with PCOS and having a history of dieting your whole life is so complicated. Well, before you start another diet with PCOS, just know that there is another way. I have a roadmap for you. It is the first three steps that I recommend to move away from diets when you're living with PCOS. It'll help you make those first steps to move away from diet culture and start to explore new ways to manage the symptoms if you're wanting to do that while living with PCOS. You can get to that resource and all the other free downloads I have at julieduffydillon.com slash voice. Again, the PCOS roadmap as is at julieduffydillon.com slash voice. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. All right, enough of all that. Let's get to this episode's letter and hear from our guest expert, Kimmy Singh. Dear Food, I have so many questions for you, Food. I am currently 24 and I can't even remember a day I didn't think about you. Sometimes I was much more obsessed with you than other times. It started when I was eight and someone mentioned I was chunky. Ew, I hate that word. That's when I started looking at your nutrition facts food. When I was 10, I started eating less and less of you food. I was eventually diagnosed with EDNOS when I was 16. You ruled my life and now I am taking my life back. I'm so proud to say I have been on my health at all sizes journey for a year now. I work with a health at all sizes dietitian every other week and a therapist the alternating weeks. And man, have I made major steps this last year. But food, you still always come up. It never ends. I live with my boyfriend and his parents. His family is extremely fat phobic and you are the center of so many conversations. How you are bad and some of you is good, but only at certain times of the day. Your siblings' weight and exercise constantly get brought up too. My boyfriend's mom has an active eating disorder and this is very hard to live with while trying to heal from my own eating disorder. I still fear your sibling weight. I've gained a lot of of it over the course of my recovery and I could say for the most part, I'm pretty comfortable where I am right now but I still fear gaining weight. Living in a fat phobic household is so hard to try and tackle this fear. My boyfriend is amazing and not like his family at all. It's just so hard to be living with them. How do I live in a society that is still so obsessed with weight, exercise, and you, food? 
how do I not feel so hurt when the people whose opinions I highly, I hold highly talk about you in a bad way? When they compliment people's weight loss and com- comment on people's weight gain is a bad thing. You know, food, when I was eating less of you and lost weight, my boyfriend's mom rewarded me by getting me a workout outfit without even asking me. Now that I've gained weight, nothing. How do I cope with that? I'm so happy, food, that I have a better relationship with you. But how do I cope with the outside pain? Any advice is appreciated. Sincerely, tired of healing in a disordered society. Hey, Kimmy, welcome to the podcast. It's nice to see you. Hey, Julie. Thank you so much for having me. It's so nice to connect with you. And, you know, if if someone doesn't know about you, I mean, really, honestly, where are they living? You Um, flatter me, so... (laughs) But uh, we um, did the PCOS and Food Peace podcast together a number of years ago, and you've been on the podcast before. So welcome back. I appreciate your help. And um, did you get a chance to read the letter I sent your way? Yes, I did. I did. Yeah, what a great letter. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and a lot of things that we could unpack, <laughs> unpacked, unpack. <laughs> um, and before we push record, I told Kimmy, I'm like, I have a cold, I have medicine head. So I'm going to be talking all jumbled. So I'm going to make up words. But anyway, when you were reading through the letter, um, what was your like general impression about what this person's experiencing? Oh my goodness. Um, you know, there are so many things that stuck stuck out to me. The first one, I just want to like add some solidarity of not liking the word chunky. It always reminds mm. me of chunky salsa. And I feel oh, like it's yeah. just kind of like a weird way to describe someone. Um, so yes, I understand that. But uh, yeah, you know, this, this really brought me to um, make me, it brought me to make me think of some of the inner child work I do with clients. Because when I hear this person describe their relationship with food when they were a child and through their teenage years, and then to be in this situation now where they're living with their partner's parents, and it's almost like, um, I know for a lot of folks, being in that situation can bring them back to that, that childlike place and feeling, and feeling like there's some authority figures in the household that are in parent-like positions. So it, um, yeah, like I totally understand where this person's coming from. Yeah. Like it seems like there's a lot of the recovery process this person has in their brain, but there's a part of like the feeling of, and when you were talking about like authority figures and going back to that childlike place, I can almost imagine like the energy of the body being like, no, I'm a kid again, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and not being able to get unstuck, even if intellectually a person is like aware of this is not where I want to be. And I'm a grown up. I get to decide what I want to do with my body. But, you know. Right. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And that like, I guess, lack of autonomy with being a child I feel like it really speaks to how food, for one, can be a really safe and, what's the word, resourceful tool because Mm -hmm. children have access to, like, such few options for coping. They don't have the options to maybe set a lot of boundaries at times or make a lot of other changes. 
And I really appreciate that for this person, food was, it sounds like it was a tool in some way, um, whether it was through restriction or, or through eating more. I'm not sure if this person went through that too, but um, yeah, I just, I feel like it's so important that we have that kindness and gentleness to our inner children, right? Like when we consider that was one of the only tools that was available at that time. And so it sounds like this person is feeling pretty frustrated to feel some of these thoughts coming up again. And I know it's really difficult, but I, I wonder if, if they maybe like get in touch with that inner child, if they're able to have some compassion and gentleness, how that might help to slow things down and maybe stop it, um, stop it from becoming a cycle where they're feeling frustrated and then maybe feeling not so great about their relationship with food and the shame comes in and it just sort of adds to that super vicious cycle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was connecting with like the feeling of shame reading through this and again, like having an awareness of like wanting something different, but feeling ashamed that they're like still in this place. But also like, I'm so glad that they also honored, like I'm trying really hard to recover and this world hasn't yet. This family hasn't yet. This family hasn't even like really said that there is a problem, you know, Um, and how that must be just so exhausting. Like that's the thing I was thinking too, like just having to like, be in that kind of dynamic and um, just not even aware that this anti-fat bias is such a big part of this family's like system and conditions. Oh yeah, absolutely. And in reality, fat phobia is so ubiquitous, right? Like we see it everywhere, but then to not, I mean, I'm thinking of it from the child, a child's perspective, and then also from this letter writer's perspective, but to not really have a safe refuge from it at home or from the, your relationships that are maybe your closer relationships, it can just feel like it's really surrounding you and you don't have a way out. Mm-hmm. And that's where a lot of times I'll even encourage folks to build community and connect to resources that can sort of um, remind you that actually, no, this is not the entire world. And you can also mm-hmm. build this world around you of folks that can support you and re- and also know that diet culture is ridiculous because it's kind of yes. like, yeah, you're getting gaslit all the time if somebody is um, really normalizing dieting and reward, you know, quote unquote, like rewarding weight loss. And so I definitely recommend trying to connect to that community that can just be a safer place. Um, yeah. I wrote down diet culture is ridiculous. That like needs to be on a bumper sticker, a t-shirt. Something, Kimmy. Oh, I hear you. I can make a whole brand off of this. There you go. <laughs> and drop a merch is. line. <laughs> yes, that that's really. I mean, it, it, it is. It's ridiculous, and so many layers to it. Well, you know, you're you're you're, you're kind of mentioning something that this, this letter writer can do, and mm-hmm. yeah, I'm curious. Like, what would you recommend to someone who's in a similar place? What are some things they could do that could be some steps forward? Yeah. Well, um, you know, when I was thinking about this as I was looking through the letter and I think it's one piece is it's tough because I just want to emphasize, I really don't know exactly what this letter writer needs. Mm -hmm. And I would, the first, my first recommendation would be 
that they, like with the support of their dietitian and therapist, that they really get in touch with what their needs are. And um, that's going to be something that's super different for each person. Mm -hmm. It might be related to what their needs were when they were a child and they didn't have um, some of the support that they have access to now. Um, It might even be helpful to explore some fun childlike curiosities outside of their relationship with food just to connect to that inner child. So I, mm-hmm. I always think when I think of mine, I think of um, listening to like 90s music. Like I was a kid in the 90s. So I think of like Lisa Frank and um, like, I don't know, just all these ridiculous 90s things. What's the 90s and, song you think of? Is there? I'm totally putting you on the spot. <laughs> there is so, okay, there are so many, are. but I feel like my inner child would like, lose her shit if I didn't mention Backstreet Boys and Spice Girls. So like anything Backstreet Boys and Spice Girls. Oh goodness. Yeah. That's awesome. I love and, 90s music too. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so it's um yeah, like I wonder how even connecting to some of those fun things that their inner child would enjoy. Um outside of food, right right? Like it might offer um it might offer some space to be curious about what their needs are That's around that. food when it comes to that inner child. So by connecting outside of food and body and all these kind of concerns with their um, inner child, that's like playful mm-hmm. and um, positive or neutral. It'll uh, is it something that kind of helps to open up the the like communication of like compassion and um, mm-hmm. to like help access that? Is that what happens? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Well, I feel like it um, really sets the stage for, like you said, that playfulness, um, childlike curiosity, and it can really help to bring in some of the positive memories of childhood, right? Like, okay. I know, I imagine that if this person really focuses on food in childhood, yeah. it might be a bit more nuanced, mm-hmm. um, obviously. Like, there might be some really fun childlike food memories and, hey, go for it, explore those too. <laughs> Um, but, but yeah, like I wonder how doing something that might feel a bit more neutral might also, um, yeah, just create a safe space mm-hmm. for exploring that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, before we move on to the next, um, part, are there any other steps that you had in mind? Oh gosh. I mean, so this is where like, um, so I definitely don't know what this yeah. person's inner child needs. And also I feel like when I was reading this, I know what was going on, um, going on for me, like what I know, what I feel like I would need if I were in this situation would probably be some boundaries. Yeah. And yeah, so this could look different for each person, each relationship, but it could be like asking that they not, um, reward you or comment on losing weight or gaining weight or saying the same, Mm -hmm. um, also setting some boundaries around conversations that you want to engage in. Um, let's say at the dinner table or any other time. And this is one where like, I don't, I don't know how they're going to respond. Right. Like they're, it could be really scary for you. And yeah. So that might be something to explore more with your therapist. Yeah. You know, the thing I appreciate about boundaries is, you know, I think for a lot of people, they think of boundaries is like being like, Hey, you need to do this and this when you're around me, like communicating Mm -hmm. something. And and there, and that may feel inaccessible, especially in the beginning. And mm-hmm. it's okay to, if it's like a silent boundary, which is the a phrase I learned from Elizabeth Armstrong, yeah. um, <laughs> it, you know, just even like not engaging in the conversation or leaving the room. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And maybe the boundary may be easier to discuss with partner versus partner's parents. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I, um, I know I've talked to some people about setting boundaries and I just feel like, oh, that means I have to like constantly be fighting with someone. Mm-hmm. And there may be a couple people that you do that with. <laughs> and and yeah. there may be um, some people that you just use silent boundaries with, which, you know, you just leave the room when that comes up. And um, I, I wonder too, like, especially if you're connecting some of the inner child stuff with this, um, you may find as practicing kind of these things, um, it may get easier as time goes on. But, but yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh. Thank you so much for mentioning that. Yeah, I love that descriptor yes. of like silent boundaries. I usually call them like internal boundaries. Ooh, that's a good word. And yeah. You know, it, it's funny you mentioned that because when I, I feel like when I first started recovery so many years ago, um, I had this provider uh, and this person said that like, um, like the way she framed boundaries was it was very rigid. And I just kind of felt like, oh, culturally, this like doesn't apply to what feels right for me, what feels right in my community and my culture. But I was really new to recovery and I didn't know. I, I really took that as like, oh, I'm wrong or I'm doing this wrong or I can't hold space for my recovery and my cultural identity. So um, I, I imagine there are lots of listeners that have different experiences and that come from different communities. So I feel like it's important to consider a lot of the frameworks that we discuss in the mainstream therapeutic settings, like it comes from a really Eurocentric, yes. like white idea of what it means to set a boundary, mm-hmm. right? So it, yeah, I don't think there's a right or wrong way to do it. Yeah, for sure. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you said that. Yes, because I've I've been that um, provider who's given that kind of <laughs> like boundary description. And um, it's, really important to know yeah like the, the there's going to be differences what people are able to access and like culturally what is actually going to be uh, I'm searching for the right word like just what is in the norms or what's like part of um is expected and expecting to have these kind of like well I'm just going to leave kind of boundary right. <laughs> you know not yeah. going to be oh accessible gosh. for so many people um right yeah i'm even thinking like financial privilege right yes. like i yeah, i can see that. this person yeah. being told like hey like why don't you move yeah. out and yeah. like i i just i'm yeah i work with lots of folks that are in situations where they are living with people that maybe are not the most supportive to their recovery and if it were an option just to get up and move out, they would have already, they would done, have already that. done that. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I was like, in a perfect world, this person could just live somewhere else. But yeah, yeah um, that may may very well not be the option or may not be what they want to do, you know, or just... Right. Yeah. yeah. So, oh my gosh. Well, we are, letter writer, we are sending you support. And as you get in touch with what you need, you know... Um, we're hoping that you connect with a way to, to satisfy that. And, um, you know, finding a way to have some compassion for that inner child that experienced some things that did not like, I'm totally minimizing when I say this, but did not feel good. <laughs> but then also connecting with the parts um, that were playful and fun and, you know, rocking out to the to Backstreet Boys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your insight, Kimmy. And, 
you know, there's going to be people listening who are like, oh, I want to know more about Kimmy's work or maybe I want to work mm. with her. Um, where can people find you? Yes, you can find me at bodyhonornutrition.com mm. or on Instagram at bodyhonornutrition. And yes, please feel free to reach out. Um, we would love to work with you. And yeah, thanks for listening. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Um, again, it was so great to talk to you and I hope you have a great day. So there you have it. Letter writer, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Kimmy Singh. I hope it gave you some pointers as you're moving forward. And for anyone else in a similar place, I hope it helped you as well. I see that food is written back, but before we get to food's letter, if you enjoyed this episode of the Find Your Food Voice podcast, I would love it if you left a rating, a review, subscribed or shared an episode. Seriously, doing this helps so much and I thank you in advance. This episode of the Find Your Food Voice podcast was brought to you by my PCOS Roadmap. If you are someone that is living with PCOS and just tired of dieting, I made this roadmap for you. It has the first three steps to help you move away from dieting while also exploring ways to manage the symptoms that come with polycystic ovary syndrome. You can get to that resource and all the other free resources I have at julieduffydillon.com slash voice. All right, enough of all that. I am going to go ahead and read Food's Letter next, but until next time, take care. Dear Tired of Healing in a Disordered Society, we are here with weight and exercise rooting for you to continue on your recovery journey. We see the struggle with people around you pushing the thin ideal in words and actions, honoring your childhood of body ridicule and disordered eating, What did your young self need? What did the disordered eating try to serve? We wonder what it would be like to curiously connect with a playful part of your childhood. Maybe it is music or a movie or a book. Consider letting your brain wander to that time and sit with that wonder and silly playfulness. We think this could help you reconnect with the part of yourself that was harmed by diet culture. Here, self-compassion for that young person may be more accessible. We see that your brain knows recovery, yet your body still has fear. Practice that self-compassion often. Use boundaries as you can. This is hard work, yet know your eight-year-old self and your 10-year-old self and your 16-year-old self are proud to see how far you have come in your healing. Love, food. Thank you for listening. I am Julie Duffy Dillon, and this is the Find Your Food Voice podcast. Ready to join the anti-diet movement and take the Food Voice pledge? Go to julieduffydillon.com and sign your name to the growing list of people saying no to diets and yes to their own food voice. The Find Your Food Voice podcast is produced by me, Julie Duffy Dillon, and my team of kick-ass folks. I couldn't make the show without Yelly Cruz, assistant producer and resident book feed, and Colleen Bremner, customer service coordinator and professional hype master. Audio editing is from Toby Lyles at 24 Sound. Music is Fly Free by Hartley. 
Are you looking for episode transcripts? Get them at julieduffydillon.com, where you can also submit letters for the podcast, give us feedback, and sign the Food Voice Pledge. We need your voice to end diet culture. We literally can't do this without you. Subscribe to the Find Your Food Voice podcast to get weekly inspiration and education on how we can defeat diet culture and reclaim our own food voice. I look forward to seeing you here next week for another episode of the Find Your Food Voice podcast. Take care.